Hello and welcome to another episode of Rant About It by the BU Chapter of the Philosophy, Politics and Economic Society. To stay updated on all our future events, follow us on Instagram at BUPPE Society and check out our website, ppesocietybu.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening and now into the discussion. So, hi. Um, today is our episode for the February Rant About It. And in this Rant About It, we landed on democratic nominees and Brexit and also authoritarianism and coronavirus kind of we combine these two so which one are we going to start first so also by the way I'm Zoe I'm Heriberto I'm Thomas I am Case yeah so uh, the first topic we touched on uh, was the Iowa caucus like Democratic nominees, but more specifically, the Iowa caucus. For our listeners, this uh, roundabout was, I think, the same week, one week after the Iowa caucus. Yes. Mm-hmm. The same same week is yeah. actually. It right was the after. day after the, mm-hmm. the, oh, the yeah, Iowa caucus, right. and so we are now speaking, one week and one day, um, after the Iowa caucus at about seven thirty or so. So it's just as the New Hampshire results are about to come in. Yeah. So. Yeah, when we talked about it, we we didn't even have the full results. We had like sixty something percent, I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, anybody want to start with the? Uh, I think should we like, briefly explain what the mess that happened? Oh boy, I don't think anybody even knows what happened. To be honest. Um, yeah, well, I, I think on the, like a high level, there was an app that was basically just boomers can't use phones, right? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Sam pointed out this. Uh, this might be like one of the most probable scenarios that human error was that what caused this huge mess. So the app was developed by literally a, a, a firm called Shadow, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it was supposed to like streamline the process of counting the votes and making it the whole process more secure and easier. But turns out it made exactly the opposite thing. And uh, yeah, we t- talked about uh, about if uh, this this issue would uh, affect the democratic uh, political, you know, just the election, the primary process as a whole. And uh, yeah, anyone want to talk about their opinion on if if it will affect the primary process? Yeah, so it's to a certain extent, at least, it's thrown the democratic, pro- the primary process into a lot more chaos than it would be otherwise. So, Biden, Biden's poor result was going to be bad for him either way, and we've seen him starting to fall off. But I think he would have suffered a lot more. I think Biden and say um, Warren would have suffered a lot more given the results, um, while Klobuchar, Buttigieg, and Sanders would have helped a lot more if we'd actually gotten the results when we did. Um, but so now we're in a situ- situation where instead of, okay, the front runners are probably, you know, Sanders, Biden, and Buttigieg, and then Klobuchar might, Klobuchar Warren might come in if somebody dies or if, you know, something, something serious happens where they're able to surge at the last minute, minute on Super Tuesday or something. Um, um, we are now in a situation where we, we basically have no idea what the hell is going to happen. Um, uh, you know, Sanders is a bit of the front runner, I guess, at this point. You know, assuming, but that's assuming that you know the 2020 primary fu- 
you know, kind of has voter voter voters behave in a way similar to the way they have in the past. Um, whereas I think be, there's a case to be made that because everybody's crazy nowadays, um, uh, I think it, it it might be less likely that those trends hold. So you know, the way it would work in the past is that you know you know if Bernie wins, you know, um, you know. Going into Iowa, Biden was the polling favorite by far in all this, in most of the southern Super Tuesday states. He he was the one southern candidate where it's like you know Warren Buttigieg and Sanders were all splitting the northern vote. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, you know Biden was competitive in California. He was leading in Texas. Um, and so then, what would normally happen is Sanders, you know, in the normal year, what would happen is you know Bernie would come, he'd win Iowa, or he'd play second in Iowa. You know, basically tying with Buttigieg. You know, split, kind of that split decision with a popular vote in the SDEs, uh, which are state fellow equivalents, which is how the, which is how the state party awards, you know, kind of national level delegates. Yeah. Um, um, you know, then Bernie would come and he'd win a pretty sizable victory in New Hampshire, and then he'd win in Nevada, and then what would happen as a result of that is that. Uh, one weird thing about American primaries is that media coverage about people who win tends to influence voters down the line, and that voters tend to sw- switch to the winners of previous contests. Um, you, you know, you could there's different there's different you know causal explanations for this. You could say that um, uh, maybe voters want their vote to count. You know, maybe voters. Or start to think that you know, okay, well, this person's been tested in several elections and they've proven that they can win these elections. Yeah. So the the electability voters start to come around, uh, thinking that they they'll have a chance. The primary winner will have a chance in the general. Um, yeah, I think that's the main reason why everybody was so uh, concerned and disappointed that the Iowa caucus went like. Yeah. Poorly because yeah. it the, really affects the, the ambiguity. Really f- messes with people's ability to, you know, kind of what messes with the media's ability to, to generate bounces. Yeah, um, and so the Sanders people are pissed because, I mean, let's be honest. Even if they hadn't been, even if something hadn't happened, they'd come up with a way for something to happen. Yeah. That's just in the nature of the extremely online um, support for Sanders. Um, the Buttigieg people are definitely not happy because they got cheated out of their media bounce um, Tuesday night when it, when you know Buttigieg could have claimed victory and actually had numbers, and then the media would go, "Oh, Buttigieg wins Iowa," and then you know he'd come on to New Hampshire, he'd beat because uh, as of tonight, Sanders has about a two-thirds chance of winning New Hampshire. Buttigieg has about a thirty percent chance of winning New Hampshire. Yeah, and so um, uh. You know, Buttigieg can you know write in a kind of you know in a, in a sort of justified way say, hey, look, you guys balls this up, and all of a sudden I don't get my media bounce in New Hampshire that I really needed to win New Hampshire, which I really needed to do well enough in South Carolina and Nevada and then South Carolina to make me viable on Super Tuesday. And Super Tuesday is the big kind of do or die point in the primary because that's where you get um, that it's about a full third of all. Delegates were awarded on that night. Um, when is that? It's it's the first Tuesday of March, I want to say. So it's okay. three three weeks from tonight, I think. Because mm-hmm. two weeks from tonight it's... is South Carolina, um, and then a week after South Carolina is Super Tuesday. Um, so if yeah, um, moving past the uh, Iowa process and just getting into Democratic nominees in general, we also discussed. 
about this um, this thing we've been seeing and from from my experience I've been seeing it a lot and reading it a lot on articles and just different testimonies of uh, democratic vote uh, Democrat voters um, so is uh, we we discussed about the uh, electability dimension on on nominees so if people seem to be more worried about choosing the candidate they think not not the candidate they prefer we could say that they prefer it because they think they have a chance to win against Trump which is uh in some in some cases might be the the only reason they are behind that candidate because they are uh more concerned about winning against Trump not not on the like specific policies and on um, other details what do you guys think about electability um so there's two there's two words at play there is there's electability and then there's electability and for the peop, for the uh, listeners outside of the room i am scare quoting that second one um the perfectly visual medium of podcasts yes 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 thank you kiss um so uh the former is literally just you know who has the best chance of winning um yeah. i tend to lean very empirically into that question um uh which seems to indicate that um biden is probably if if your concern is literally just ability to beat trump and there might be some there's some more sophist if you want to get more sophisticated in the electability thing you could you know focus on hey look it's not just about beating trump it's about turnout right so even if it's the case that all the Democratic nominees, all the potential Democratic nominees will beat Trump, if you know you beat Trump by three points versus beating Trump by ten points, that might have some amount of difference down ballot, you know. And if you want, if you really want to take like the center or something like that, you could try to make a case that it'll be more, it'll be more important to put out someone like Biden, you know. Just and this is just me speaking off the cuff. This isn't my, these aren't my personal beliefs or anything. Yeah. But um, um. And then there's electability and scare quotes, which is what gets tossed around a lot. Um, yeah, I don't think people are actually like doing yeah. statistical studies to. Yeah, so I think the best encapsulation of this is is the following. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about sexism amongst voters in the in the nomination process, right? Yeah. Um, empirically, I don't think this really holds up. Um, only about. Like six percent of all Americans say that they wouldn't consider voting for a woman, and so now it's it, you can't take that at face value. Obviously, there's some people who you know would, would say you know oh yeah I consider voting for a woman, but they won't vote for any of the women that are, that they, but they wouldn't consider voting for any of the women that are on city you know that are actually running or whatever. Um, that be, that being said though, I think I don't think that sex plays a particularly outsized role in. In elections, obviously, we're extrapolating a bit for the president. Um, it definitely doesn't play much of a role in, say, congressional races or state-level state races. It might play a role in the presidency. Uh, we don't know because there's only been, you know, one female nominee in history. Yeah. Um, you know, from a ma from a major party that is, but um, there's only there's only been one female major nominee in history. Um, uh, but. The common convention, it's not not convention. The common conception is that sexism matters a great deal, and so what this has led to is that you have all these Democratic voters who aren't actually sexist. You know, they would, if say Warren won, they'd happily vote for Warren, but the media narrative around this thing has convinced them that there's these there's this large mass of voters that actually is sexist against women, which means that they're going to vote based off of based on sex for the men in the primary because they're worried about 
how people in swing states are going to vote, even though that, even though their views of that aren't really true. And so electability and scare quotes, quotes tends to be this kind of, especially in primaries, tends to be this very self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that um, American politics is polluted with a uh, fake expert would be the wrong word. Um, but very self-confident people. Um, and uh, do you guys watch Documentary Now at all? It's a, it's a spoof documentary series that I think IFC did. But there's um, there's a line in it that I love uh, that is a, guy, a guy's talking about an actress who just walked out screaming of a recording studio. And uh, he's saying... If I know two things, it's women and exactly what's going to happen in the future. And I feel like that pretty much sums up uh, this discussion, you know? It's like, I know women and they won't get elected because, you know, (laughs) reasons. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and I think that uh, Tom hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. 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 and so then I guess kind of baked in, uh, baked into a lot of this year's talk about electability is twofold. One is Warren, um, in particular Warren, and then I guess to club nobody really cares about Klobuchar. But um, one is the gender thing, and then the other one is uh, the one that. Um, so aside from that, which is mostly kind of like you know, it's it's mostly pe- people in media circles and people who support Warren who actually really kind of care about that. Yeah. The, the other, the other, big, really big aspect is ideology, um, and so people will say off the cuff that you know um, uh, moderates are more electable than progressives, for example, or or something like that, or progress, or you know we'll see Bernie Kratz try to flip it around and say progressives are more electable than moderates, and empirically at least, I don't think it's really accurate to, to kind of go hard into either in either direction um, when you look at and so a bit of a caveat here you know you can't necessarily take you know, you know current polling data and you know project it all the way out to November because you know depending on who the nominee is you know you'll have different kind of attack ads that you know will change public opinion to a certain degree between now and the election uh, but in general just looking at the way candidate you know potential candidates poll right now Biden's, you know, Biden's up on Trump by like, you know, seven or eight points, and followed by followed immediately by Bernie at like, you know, five five or six points or so, and then there's a big gap between those. T- so you know, the most moderate and the most progressive guy are kind of you know one two, one two, in the kind of in the electability column. Yeah. Uh, which isn't what you'd expect if you know ideology plays a super important role in who's electable and who isn't. Um, and then, but then after that, there's a big kind of gap between the you know the top two, you know the kind of you know big name brand politicians and everyone else. Like you know, like Warren's at like you know plus two on Trump, uh, um, you know, Klo- and then like Klobuchar and Buttigieg are like you know plus one or sometimes even tied. Um, and so, pe- you know, most people who aren't like you know super super into politics don't necessarily form opinions you know based off of ideology or policy or anything like that and it's not it's not true that it's not true to say that you know it's entire people form opinions entirely based off of you know personality either um 
but people get a se- people have a tendency to get a sense of what a politician will do, and they vote vote based off of that sense. And so you can't entirely tie um, electability to you know degrees of moderation or to checking the right identity boxes or anything like that. Um, That's kind of interesting. So you say people get a sense of what politics is. Do you mean like they will choose basing on what's their view on like the role of politics in their life or the role of? Well, no, no. They 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 vote based off of their sense of who politicians are. Okay. So they'll go and they'll look at Joe or they'll look at Bernie and they'll go, oh, you know, I I trust Joe to do the right thing, or whatever, and still yeah. vote for him, right? They okay. do the same thing for Bernie, even though they have, you know, there's a big gap, you know, between them on policy issues, mm-hmm. um, and so there are there are still people who will look at Bernie and go, eh, he's too lefty for me, he bores me, but I would vote for Joe, right? So there are those people. Those people tend to be wealthier, you know, they tend to be, you know, kind of more engaged with the news. But I'd imagine that it's a phenomenon that exists throughout the political spectrum. But at the same time, there are there are a lot of people who don't vote strictly based off of just kind of you know where you fall on the left right spectrum. Um, there's a lot more nuance to it than that, which is why you have Biden, Bernie, kind of you know blowing Trump out of the water, and then everybody else in a slugging match with him, right? Which is which isn't what you'd expect if you know it was just um, the kind of you know McGovern law, McGovern's law, where you know the leftier your nominee is. Um, the better you, the you know the better you do, uh, the worse you do. I mean, uh, the more moderate your nominee is, uh, the better you do. And it's not the reverse either. That progressive like to complain about you know like, you know moderate nominating Clinton, nominating Gore, nominating Dukakis you know as moderates, and then losing to the Republican nominee. Um, yeah. There's there is no clear cut. You know, uh, moderates are more electable or progressives are more electable. Uh, the issue is a is varies from politician to politician. And so you could you could reasonably back Biden or Sanders saying, hey look, of of the um of the two you know of the kind of like you know various categories of Democrat, uh, this is my favorite category and of the people in this category, you know, either Bernie or Biden are the most electable, you know, of that of of that category. Yeah. Um but you can't just say um Amy Klobuchar will be more electable than Bernie Sanders because that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. And you can't say that Elizabeth Warren will be more electable than Joe Biden because that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Um, yeah, it's really interesting how I, I, I guess it's like representative of the unambiguity we're talking about that the electability uh, argument can be used for both Biden and Bernie. So yeah. yeah, that's why I was like really interested in the way I brought it up in the discussion. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to next topic because um, we can, so that we can maybe talk about the results of New Hampshire primary before we s- stop recording. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so the next one is Brexit, and we didn't really spend a lot of time on that one, right? Yeah. So Brexit officially happened. Um, they took the flag down from the EU uh, headquarters mm-hmm. and everything. <laughs> so just so that you know, we had a air quotes. Yeah, I can't, again, air quotes. quotes. Yeah, of course. Because, uh, yeah, we didn't really discuss it that much, but um, I think the kind of the m- most important detail that hasn't been resolved yet, and, and that's why it's through the air quotes, is because the uh, trade trade uh, agreements and the trade uh, conditions haven't been really figured out between the EU and, and the UK. 
mm-hmm. and that's kind of what the that that's the most I'd say the most urgent issue that should be resolved and that could have either really positive or really negative effects on the UK and the UK's economy. Uh, a member that was in the discussion said that they had time to figure it out and they didn't. So we'll see what happens. I think they have a. I think it, by the end of this year to come to an agreement. Yeah. I, I read a little bit about the uh, kind of details that they're working out. And uh, one of the issues that the EU is more concerned about is mm, the UK kind of undercutting prices on materials. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm kind of interested in one note point that in our notes. So increasing yeah. connectivity connectivity globalization will yield a one state system what does that mean <laughs> so it's basically the idea is that what happens if what happens so the, the question so there's I love, so I, I i was the one who introduced it as a bit of a goading uh question okay um but it was just that i i see these trends of the world becoming more and more connected. I mean, you know, it's not it's not a controversial thing to say that uh, you know we're we're more connected than ever. You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. The fact that the fact that like I mean, it'd be late. Or actually, I'm not quite sure the time in Singapore right now. But I could call my uncle in Singapore right now and talk to him. You know, like that something that really hasn't been true any other part in history. And yeah, you, know, you can say the like, and and with the internet and all these things, you know the we can find more common ground than ever. Um, and, and not only are like we personally getting more interconnected, but you know economies are being interwoven. you know like we, we, we see things on a, you know a, a personal and economic scale and on a national scale getting more and more entwined with each other. And so I can't like far off into the future, I don't think it would be uh, unreasonable to think of like a consolidation of power, or at least a like a unilateral like disbursement of power. Um, you know, like a totally globalized world. And is this really like is Brexit just a hiccup in that like uh, <laughs> yeah, because diffusement it, of political it's exactly power? the opposite thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's like. Will will this even matter in the scope of things? You know, yeah. and, and is it uh, the, the, there was a thing that someone was talking to me about um, last semester. Uh, I, I mentioned something on Brexit, and uh, they said, uh, "You know what? I'm for Brexit because I'm for liberty." And I was wondering, Hello. yeah, I know. I was like, "Huh? I wonder because like, does that uh, does that uh, consolidation?" And and again, it's very much in this like anarchistics is the wrong word, but you know it's just it's just a bit of a decentralized global uh, power. Uh, like, is that really uh, infringing upon liberty? You know, um, are 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 we less free then? And that seems to be uh, the rhetorical argument used. By you know that was kind of redundant. That's the argument used by a lot of um, British politicians. You know, uh, some in particular. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think I think that's a that's a 
it's it's definitely an interesting question to ask, and I think this could actually serve as kind of a slow transition into the last topic, which is China and authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. um, but so, lot, lot lots of people try to boil down Brexit to specific like either one issue or kind of like an, uh, an amalgamation of specific issues, and so you know they'll say Brexit was about you know xenophobia, yeah, or and I don't think that really holds up because. Um, the British, in particular, are a lot more open to migrants than most Europeans are. Um, when you look at approval polling, the British are by f uh, the Anglosphere is by far much more open to uh, immigration from various places than um, um, uh, you know, say France would be, right? Um, and even in even in Britain, where there is even when there is some sort of nativism, it's not necessary. It doesn't necessarily go in the way you would think, as like you know the way like Americans think about race, for example. Like there's a lot of people who are more willing to accept, say, uh, Pakistani or Indian immigrants than they would um, Polish immigrants. Um, that you know it's 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 it ha it's has to do with this kind of very kind of ethereal nature of British culture and whatnot. And I, th yeah, just a quick uh, point I, I wanted to make before you continued. I, but I think it still was like a main uh, point uh, done by the politicians that were for Brexit. This whole like migrants are taking our jobs thing. Um, it's I, I think I mean from a, from a, an outside perspective, it, it seemed like that was uh, one of the main issues that they were trying to fix. Well, no, so let me put it this way: there were com there were complaints about migration, right? Yeah. Um, there were complaints about EU, EU the EU regulation of businesses. Like there was this uh, infamous documentary uh, made, you know, made by the uh, Leave campaign called Brexit the Movie or something like that. That you know really pissed a bunch of uh, Remainers off, and they were all calling it fake news because you know they were you know factual inaccuracies in, in, in it and whatever. Um, basically, just complaining about all these regulations that the EU passes and, you know, kind of imposes on the British. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think it's the case that, um, you know, British citizens are really concerned with, you know, uh, how many different how many how many different ways you're legally allowed to make a pillow, right? Or, you know, banana size or whatever. Um, well, you know, and no, that's, that's, and no, that's not a euphemism, but uh, yeah. uh <laughs> Uh, literal regulations on the size and shape of bananas, but uh, um, <laughs> thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I I don't think that's actually a pressing concern. I think it's used as evidence of a problem, and that problem is, and that concern is British sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you can necessarily just boil down. I I don't think you can necessarily boil down a lot of politics to just. Um, okay, this this is how we get better policies. Uh, therefore, this is the way to go, right? Uh, a lot of the time, there's, people care about you know kind of these very ethereal things like um, you know this a sense of independence, right? Like you know the, the the national narrative of Britain is as being some you know somehow different from the rest of Europe, right? You know, you know, be it through their kind of you know colonial history or uh, the fact that they're, you know, on the UN Security Council, 
um, or you know whatever reason you want to pick, right? You you have to admit at the very least that there is something special. You know, you could say it's good, you could say that's bad, but there's something special about uh, the UK in comparison to the rest of Europe. Yeah, I um, mean, you can like you can compare uh, just uh, different economic indicators, and well, yeah, and and some and to some degree, the UK is doing better than some. Uh, other European. Countries. I mean, it's, it's it's not even necessarily just economic, and it's not necessarily just like racial either or anything or ethnic either. It's it ha- it has to. It, it, I think a lot of it deals with this kind of very loose thing that you might call national ethos or something like that, right? Um, uh, like you know, like, you know, like the the Anglo the Anglo American legal system is vastly dis- you know is extremely distinct. Mm-hmm. From the West, from the rest of the Western world, right? With civil law, right? Like you know, law in law in Mexico is going to be a lot more similar to law in France than the law in France is going to be to the law in Britain, um, uh, and that's you know because you know there's 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 a history of there's there's a you know you know history going back almost you know two two and a half centuries of Europe European integration, you know, kind of started. I'm, I'm probably um, if there were a historian in the room, they'd probably kick my ass for um, some simple, simplifying things. But you know, roughly started. Yeah, we'll give with, you a pass. Yeah, roughly started <laughs> with the French Revolution, and you know, kind of you know, Napole- the, you know, the institution of the Napoleonic Code and all this, all these in the continents and all these kinds of things that Britain was never a part of, um, and so, um, but and so I think. I think this this whole kind of you know national ethos of splendid isolation is something that's in a certain way unique to Britain and why Brexit was always a lot more likely than say you know Italy leaving over currency issues or Greece leaving over fiscal issues or Poland leaving over cultural issues or whatever right um, I think I think uh, the UK has always been, was you know even the the EU had to give them a bunch of carve outs to to stay in the EU in the first place during the, during the when it was kind of you know ramping up in the nineties in the first place, um, and you know it's always been you know this very unpopular thing in Britain, um, even even you know among the people who you know like it for fiscal reasons and it's definitely the EU is definitely fiscally beneficial to the UK but there's there's more to politics than just GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think maybe to use that as a springboard for a bit into our discussion on China, um, if Zoe or I guess Zoe wasn't there, but if you or Case wants to kind of kick things off for this, I think that might be a good idea. Yeah, so we moved uh, from Brexit to uh, authoritarianism. Uh, turns out when you talk about the consolidation of power, authoritarianism comes up pretty quickly after. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first point that was made was about uh, the coronavirus and how uh, <clears throat> China, well, well, the example of the hospital that was built in 10 days was brought up. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, mentioned that well, the, her opinion was that um, this couldn't be, this couldn't happen in uh, in, an, an, in another regime. So uh, kind of, uh, this was only possible in an authoritarian government. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, we started discussing about whether this was uh, a good thing and a, or a bad thing, or what uh, what's a representative of 
how uh, <clears throat> an authoritarian regime could be more efficient, and if this efficiency is uh, is it a is it a, a fair trade-off between you know uh, some other regimes, the democratic regimes. So, so it's really interesting. So, first of all, I was thinking about those when, on my way back from New Hampshire. Um, so, I don't know how many people know about those, but China itself is actually a different kind of democracy. Mm-hmm. It claims itself as the negotiate negotiated democracy, which is led by the China Chinese Communist Party, and. Um, and negotiation between among different parties, which is like there were different parties in China. It's just that is led by a Chinese Communist Party. So it's like it is a democracy, but it's a negotiated kind of thing. So could you explain to us the difference between, uh, let's say, you know, the Republican democracy that we have here and a negotiated mm-hmm. democracy of China? Yeah. So like it was I for my um, understanding, it would be more like. So if I were at home, I can vote too. I can vote to choose the candidate, but it's not like the candidate for the president, but it's for like the candidate for the representative of my area. And then they would, so like we know the democracy we're talking about right now after a certain point is all about the people's representative, that kind of system. For a Chinese regime right now is really about like, so, the people, individual, can vote for your representative and the representative of the area vote for the representative of a bigger area. And then this representative vote for maybe the representative of the whole province or the whole city. And then you go way up. So like a lot of the um, decisions are made um so all the policies are kind of similar to what we are in the U.S. Like you have all the Senate and representative in each district. You brought up in like a policy. But at the same at the time. Hmm. So just um, out of curiosity, mm-hmm. who are the legislators? So you're voting for someone in your, I don't know, like, I and forgive me for not knowing the district designations. <laughs> of China but it's like you know your 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 neighborhood and then your uh town and then your town person votes for your mm-hmm. county person your county person votes for your city person your city person votes for your state person mm-hmm. and then you know um so which of those people is making the law like mm-hmm. are those people um I, and I'm sure are all the are all the town people with each other or all the or are you just voting on like one person who's voting on someone who's gonna make the law who's voting on someone who's gonna make the law? I feel it's kind of the latter case. If I were to vote, then I vote someone who's going to vote someone who's going to make the law, and they are going to vote for someone who's going to make the law. So at what at what level are the people actually making the law? Um, so there's like a it's called the people's the committee of people's representative, and it kind of has it each year, and when it holds it, it always there's like a lot of activities going on as part of. I actually really have a lot of things to rant about coronavirus at the moment and <laughs> administration, 
But um, yeah, so there are different levels of the committee. There are the committee at the local level. There are the committee at the province level. There are the committee at the national level. So um, if it's a national law, the national level is the legislators. And that is the committee of the national level. If it is the local law, then local people. Yeah. So is the local committee just essentially like an elected, co like to it's that local committee are just people who we designated to cast their ballot? Kind of. But right now I'm not exactly sure, but I think that's how it works. Because for me, I can only, if I'm not like a representative or anything, I can only vote for my representative of the area. Mm -hmm. The thing about that part is that like no one really, although you have the right to vote for those representative, you know nothing about them. Or like mm -hmm. people, I don't know, I feel like people do not care that much. So you're not voting for the person, you're voting for the party? Not really. There are no... Um, who d who determines eligibility for office? I think I mean, like as long as you are an adult, you do not have any crime convictions or anything, you are eligible to be a representative. So who run? Do you have to run, or is it just you a, can run? But like, but like, um, like who who are the run. people winning? You know, most if, of the time, it's kind of like the leader of the institution. For example, if I'm voting for my representative of the school, it's kind of like a leader of the school. You can also choose not to vote the leader of the school, but choose to vote for my classmate, but they are not going to have enough vote. So really it's just like, if you're the mayor of a town, the mayor is probably more often than not gonna be elected the representative as well. Very likely, I feel. but. And but so, mm -hmm. oh, sorry. I, yeah. I was thinking like for a lot of other area, for example, like very far away area, maybe there is like one person. So say like people vote for you because you are, you, you do more things for people and you have more, like you are more well known that people kind of recognize you. You have the recognition of your fellows. So that's why people vote for you. So if you are the mayor of the city, and no one else has done anything like super significant, then very likely people say, oh, I know him. They vote for him. But at the same time, it's like I participated one time, only participated once when I was still in college in Beijing. Um, people didn't really take it very seriously, like my classmates and stuff. Is what, there, what, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, no, go ahead. Uh, I'm just wondering, is there like a camp? There's no campaign. It's just one day they're like, all right, guys, time to vote. And then you. For me, it feels like that. It felt like that. But at the same time, like our um, head teacher, he was saying like, you can like all those information is already out there. Like it's displayed somewhere on the board. You can go look at it. But no one really go look at it. Yeah. What do you think that is? I mean, well, like maybe, yeah, just briefly before you get into, because you mentioned that you wanted to get into more of the coronavirus oh, okay. uh, I issues. I, but before we do that, I kind of had some stuff to ask, but could do continue with your... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that, why mm -hmm. do you think uh, the 
the, there's that level of disinterest in, in... I feel there are a lot... I was... I kept thinking about this because it's like... So first of all, a lot of people do not know we can vote. Um, I don't know how often do you hear Chinese people talk about it. No one really talks about it. Um, and then at the same time, I was thinking, is there like a lack of confidence in their vote is like they they feel even if I vote what it's going to do with my life it doesn't really directly impact me or anything yeah. so well, I, I, um, I hate to interrupt but I just got really breaking news um, what happened that uh, Yang announced he's suspending his campaign uh, oh yeah sorry oh. Oh. Mike no case uh, I, and for the listeners at home <laughs> while wearing while wearing a mask Literally just wearing a math hat. <laughs> anyway, sorry, continue. I apologize. <laughs> that was very breaking. Yeah. Um. Damn. <laughs> so do you think the, um, this, uh, I, mean, I, I think in, in every system and in every, well, in most countries, I'd say, there's a certain level of this feeling that uh, maybe voting won't Uh, make a, an impact and people don't uh, exercise their civic duties with that excuse but do you think um, yeah I kind of feel I know where you're getting at um, like is there a difference between those kind of thing I I think there's a difference between if if I run into like an American citizen on the street and I ask them like Oh, did you vote or anything like yeah. that? They feel maybe, but at one point in their life, they voted. And they really believe their vote is going to work okay. for their belief. Like, but then there's like a change. They realize, oh, politics is not what they thought to be. Yeah. But then they feel, oh, why should I vote? That's their kind of transition. But it's not the same for like a Chinese citizen. Do you think it's uh, like... There's no one, like, I don't know anyone who is like, oh, I'm going to vote, it's going to make... Okay, so you think it's, it's uh, like, it's worse in China, so people like might go their whole lives without voting and without uh, I getting make really a, involved. I wouldn't make a value judgment on this as saying, oh, this is worse, but I would okay. definitely say... Um, I mean, by worse, I meant that uh, mm -hmm. more prevalent and maybe they they stay thinking that way instead of, like you mentioned, like changing their mind at some point or... I feel oh. like people, it's a cultural kind of stuff. We also like spend a little time before we record this episode talking about elite um, measurement or something. Like, yeah. It's a, for Chinese, like people in China, they view politics very differently in a way. And also it's kind of like, there's a lot of cultural reasons behind that. Like, um, like it feels politics only maybe only the really elitist people do that mm, okay and there's like a tradition of people who's like who study the most or this really scholarly person will become the um what's the name? like legislator or just the person who governs the country is that the emperor um so yeah and even the emperor emperor himself should be very like well read anything like that so do you think that's uh, like a main factor in I don't know there's 
a lot of things. It's very complicated. But for like coronavirus, if we want to point one thing out, is I want to say like this kind of idea that really impacts people's view on information, the importance of information. There's a lot of things I want to rant about, including. Maybe for me, there's I'm very disappointed in a lot of things, but there's one <laughs> hope among <Okay. laughs> a lot of disappointments and anger is that I feel maybe the, this could be a turning point for people to realize we do need good information and symmetrical information environment is important because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's my personal view, like is really a bubble. It's kind of like a process of the bubble clashes. For the middle class people. Okay, so you you mean information,、uh, the propagation of and、uh, just communication within China and within different uh, um, classes in society. Is that what you mean by the kind of? Or you can say let's just turn to a more f- like a more um ordinary. Way to call it is like free press. Okay, yeah. If you want to say that, but like it's not only about free press. But I feel like for people say like f- say for those middle class or like before they were going to say oh politics is not my part of the job as long as I live better I earn more and I be a good citizen I do not like try to like break any law I will be fine. But then、yeah. there's this thing there's like. Is really nothing that you can prevent it. It's really like a chance kind of problem. If you're lucky, you do not get it.、Mm-hmm. If you're not lucky, and then you get it, and then they probably realize, oh, it's actually going to affect me. And then, at the very first place, it's really about like the information is not spread out to the people who really. To those people who can actually use those information to do something to prevent、yeah. it, and also about like this topic about authoritarianism is about like yes, even if say if we believe and the lead people make good decisions, but there's a chance they will make bad prediction. Yeah, and if you do not like spread those information to the people who could have helped, then you're not really you're going to shoulder all those risks yourself. If you spread the information at least to those, say, like medical per- people, they can shoulder part of the responsibility or part of the risks with you. So okay, yeah. So I think I think、um, I get what you're saying. So you're saying that、uh, hopefully this will be a wake up call on、uh, just how controlled the the information is and how this this could be seen as a like a bad decision. In not just putting the word out there of, about what what was going on, and that's my hope. But、yeah. also, it's like I'm not confident about the confident about this hope either. Is like, is it going to work, or maybe not? Yeah. Like, so hopefully that it's it it is a wake up call, and hopefully something will change. So that's why like people are so angry about like I don't know if you guys heard about it or not, but there was a doctor who tried to, he he just who died of. Um, coronavirus,、yeah. and he tried to warn people.、Oh, yeah, he was the、uh, the whistleblower, right? Yeah. yeah, like people call him whistleblower, but at the same time, he's just one of the very normal people, ordinary people who try to say, "Oh, it's coming." So, like, just make sure that, like, take caution, 
so that you do not get it. Yeah, it's something like really like the normal people like you and me would do. It's not something like a very heroic, what's the word? Like a like a act of hero? No, not really. Okay. So people are really angry about that, and also because. I mean, I guess people are calling him a, a whistleblower because um, at first they kind of suppressed the uh, urgency yes. of the but epidemic. But I, I feel like the anger really was here. It was because people see themselves on him as well because he's just like a regular, ordinary people like mm -hmm. everyone else, and they feel the fear and all the kind of. Pressure about so they it's kind of like they suddenly feel I actually have I ran into a friend that day after seeing the news and he was crying the whole day <laughs> he was oh like God. oh wow mm -hmm. I haven't really seen something like this I didn't have like memory of of SARS I didn't have memory of blah 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 but I just feel kind of guilty of not knowing anything about social issues or anything so I was like, oh, maybe like that is for some people, although it's not going to change a lot of people, but maybe for some people, it's kind of like a turning point. Mm -hmm. But that's like a not very confident hope upon yeah. all those things. And people, I also see some of my friends calling that, oh, like those Western media are not doing justice on reporting coronavirus because they are calling like criticisms to the regime in China. They are saying, oh, like you're not really calling criticism to the other countries when they run into something similar to that. Mm -hmm. They are saying, oh, this is part of the reason you are being racist or like you are being biased. I feel the comment. I feel their point. I see their point, but it's like at the same time, I feel like a lot of things can only happen because of the regime itself. If it's a different kind of way of seeing this, how to manage it, a different way of to manage the whole information and stuff, it's not going to be like that in some way. Yeah, I think one one point that a, a member made in the discussion was, and I think I, I wrote it uh, literal as I could, it's uh, it was that uh, the more centralized the the power is, the kind of impactful the damage can be of a bad decision. I believe uh, the member that made that might have been me. Um, I used uh, the historical I, example of okay. uh, not Jews in uh, Nazi-occupied Poland and France. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I thought it was the. The one that was uh, sitting besides the wheel, but yeah, I may be wrong. <laughs> oh, 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 no, no, no! Go on, go on, go on, go on. Sorry, I know exactly the point you're talking about. Yeah. Sorry, I can't see the screen. Wait, yeah. I I see a point in the note here. It says centralization of power can lead to significant, more meaningful harm. Is that yeah? The that's one what you I meant. Talking about yeah. okay. So what does that mean? I actually highlighted what is significant, more meaningful harm. Yeah, that was totally uh, like. I I, wrote, I yeah, didn't so, write it correctly, but uh, yeah. So if uh, I think the point that was trying that was tried to made was that um, if the if power is more centralized and uh, there's fewer uh, kind of institutions and steps mm. to a uh, uh, a decision being uh, made, then if uh, somebody takes a bad decision or uh, just uh, 
makes a mistake at at uh, at a, a, a certain level, mm-hmm. then that mistake will have more. Uh, yeah, it's kind of imp- similar to what I thought about what I'm angry about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's something like if you, yeah, there's a lot of risk that could be shouldered by other people, but by really keeping that power onto yourself, is like if there has something happened, nothing can really shield. She'll do from that. Yeah. So, in in discussions of realization, there's there's uh, two questions at play. Um, the one that I think we're leaning on right now is the is the um, question of effect of of why should we listen to you Western powers staring down your nose at us when. Uh, you, you, you all you, when you have nothing but gridlock, whereas we're we are the rising global power, um, and I I, th- I think this is something that there there's a general authoritarian instinct that runs through all people. I think um, to ask why can't we just why can't we do more things? Um, but um, the current argument from, say, supporters of the Chinese model, or I guess the more moderate ones, the Singaporean model, um, uh, they like to ignore, um, say, the principle of convergence, which is that um, Poorer countries naturally have an easier time growing than richer countries, uh, and there's you know there's various mechanisms in the world economy that cause this, but it's disingenuous to say that um, China's catching up. Therefore, China's method of catching up is necessarily better than Western methods, um, and not just countries are naturally likely to catch up. Um, but um, the, the issue with authoritarianism, fundamentally, if we're going to talk about effect, is this. It's that there's this, there's this, there's this assumption from people that you know when they're king, they're going to make all the wise choices that none of their foolish enemies are prone to making. They'll, you know, they'll lead their people to greatness. But this is the thing. This is what all authoritarians think, regardless of... You know how many of them, you know, fallen at the hands of each other. They continue to fall into this trap, and ulti- ultimately, it's it's this: is that with intelligence, I think, comes a great deal of say hubris. Um. Uh. You know the unwashed masses. You know that authoritarians like to degrade for their, you know, supposedly, you know, insufficient abilities to make political decisions. Um, Okay, perhaps, you know, they're not all that well, they're not all that well read or all that well engaged. But look at the people who are, you know, well read and well engaged. Look at how often they're catastrophically wrong. That's the thing about intelligence and, you know, class status and you know, engagement. It's not that it makes you more likely to be right, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, you can sit you can sit all day and ponder the nature of the universe in your room, 
that doesn't mean that you're you know somehow likely to come up with the with the actual answer describing things um ultimately ultimately it means that you're more likely to come to a conclusions about things and so yeah maybe you're more likely to be right than the guy on the street because you think about things more and so you're more likely to have opinions and more things but it means that you're also more likely to be catastrophically wrong it means that you're more likely to think that um, sparrows need to go to ensure agricultural success it means that you're more likely to think that corn is a good idea it's a good idea to grow corn in Siberia um, it makes you more likely to think all of these catastrophic it makes you more likely to think that printing money doesn't cause hyperinflation it it, it causes all of these catastrophic things to happen uh, when smart people get uh, live in their heads for too long um, it's kind of like a I, and 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 so yeah, sorry. Uh, so, be being being you know having a good pedigree isn't isn't insurance against catastrophe. What's important about democracy isn't that it means that we make the best choice all of the time, you know, or you know we somehow have some sort of you know divine inspiration for on what to do. Yeah. What 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 democracy is is that it is. I guess you might call it the scientific process for governance, in that it is an attempt, at least, to ensure that there's some sort of institutional check on wrong ideas, in that ideas that lead to calamity will, over time, be disqualified by the electorate. Um, the American electorate isn't going to vote for, for say, death camps anytime soon. The American electorate isn't going to vote for... Um, uh, the nationalization of all farmland anytime soon because we've seen what happens in other countries that have tried this and to a certain extent you know it's not on our minds all the time but we still remember these things um, and so if we're talking purely about effect and you know divorcing ourselves from any sort of you know theory of the justification for the use of power um, democracy you know, Western democracy is necessary because it in, it ensures that there's some degree of institutional response. It keeps people from going down the same path that they always end up going down one way or the other, be it some sort of, you know, nationalist cult of death, be it some sort of anti-capitalist screed, whatever it is, there needs to be some sort of process in place to make sure that people with wrong ideas aren't able to aren't able to get into power and do whatever they want because everybody has wrong ideas about something i'm pretty sure case is wrong here about you know one of gang's wacky policies i'm pretty sure that i'm wrong about something i've been wrong about things in the past i'm probably going to be wrong about things in the future what demo democracy's role isn't to make sure that um you know somehow you know the masses know best it's that the masses respond to what works, yeah. ultimately, and that they're a check on my ability to, to, to take you know, my own idiosyncrasies and try to project, try to beat reality into submission with them. Did you want to make a point? Sorry. I was talking about, like, um, it was usually a point being made talking about why China right now is not suitable for like the western kind of democracy like one person one vote for the president or that kind of thing 
Uh, yeah, so like basically it's talking about how some there were still a lot of people who are unable to make the choice for themselves, or like those people who made the point believe there are people who are unable to make the best choice for themselves because. <coughs> but the example being used is something like because, and also this is something about their um, living standard as well, is because they are very poor. So if there is a candidate giving each household per person one like a really large cart l- large car of rice they will just vote for him yeah so they will not really think about like all the consequences or anything like that so i was thinking is that the same thing when we talk about the low information voter i feel i feel this is something they're a similar part, but it's not exactly the same. And then if we talk about, yes, we all agree the Western part of democracy is crucial for the part it puts on a chuck for just, it has to, everything needs to be chucked. But at, at the same time, this is also the other thing that we always talk about is like, how do we trade off between efficiency and doing those kind of process? Yeah. Well, I think that efficiency can sometimes be um, the enemy of the good here because sometimes efficiency can be the bad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Then I'm pretty, sh- and I think you brought this up yeah. uh, at one point. The, not- the Nazis were a hell of a lot more efficient at marching Jews off to um, death camps than, say, the French were or the Romanians were. Um, yeah. Um, so that like. In in Nazi the to what I was alluding to earlier, Nazi occupied uh, Poland. There were less surviving Jewish people than there were in Nazi occupied France, because uh, Poland's bureaucracy was decimated uh, during the Second World War, and so essentially it was just a military hierarchy uh, for a lot of places. And when you know, you get orders from the top to, you know, uh, shoot the Jewish people. There aren't, you know, systems and there aren't channels for that order to go through and get stalled or, you know. Um, and so essentially the inefficiency and bureaucracy saved a lot of lives in the case of France. But um, also, though, uh, we see – how do I put this? I think inefficiency helps – because it gets people's minds on board with policies a lot better than an authoritarian one. So it's one thing it's one thing to say uh, all right, now the color yellow is illegal, you know And then all these people are like, we didn't vote on this. I have all this, I have all these yellow clothing, and I'm sorry, I'm picking on, sorry, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, essentially, it's it's the shock uh, to the populace, whereas, whereas if in, in a less efficient system, you know, where people are punished for something that they're not all on board on, you know, or like, and especially like wrong opinions, and I think of like um, the slow march of human rights uh, in you in the U.S. and uh, and around the globe, you know, uh, it, it, it everything goes a lot more smoothly uh, 
when there's that time, the 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 lag, the 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 institutional lag that goes along with like the slow changing of minds. I like your idea. I like these two points, but I also feel it's really important to ask this question. Are there any like scenarios that efficiencyers really needed? Like because for example, the society is too poor and they have nothing else to lose and they really need to achieve something better. And when we are talking about people can make really bad decisions aiming for efficiency, we are kind of already are in a, like a stage. The worst case scenario, yeah. We are kind of already in this, yeah, the worst case scenario. And at the same time, we are in that stage right now that we don't have to, we have like we are not really suffering for something really like really bad. Yeah, when you said the uh, when when is inefficiency really needed? The poverty is what the first yeah. thing that came to mind. So it's like I I know I really like the points that we talk about, and I agree with that. But also I feel it's really important to say at certain stage. And for example, like maybe North Korea right now, they are so poor that they really need the kind of efficiency maybe to. First of all, become okay, like their yeah. life, life become okay, and then to have like the kind of democracy going on to say we do not make the bad, de bad decision. Well, I mean, if anything, I think that North Korea is uh, is just a case example of that kind of authoritarian power going wrong. Mm. You know, because it's like North Korea as a modern state has never had that kind of democracy. They've only been under an authoritarian mm. rule and like a total authoritarian rule. Yeah. Okay, then North Korea is a bad example. I was trying to pick on somewhere that's really, really, I mean, really, like, poor. Like, I, mean, I, I, I so, can see your so point. So if, if we're talking shitholes, is I think that's <laughs> what we're talking about here. Not Generally really. speaking, what happens is that these places suck because the people in charge are insane and power-hungry. In this that they're, they're, they're doing their best to... Not, not, not consciously, but, you know... the. the they're they're because they're insane their desires are basically the best shot that, that country has for remaining a poor impoverished shithole for all eternity it's remember i'm not certain how much you, you two would be familiar with this but there was this kind of cultural trope in iraq in the 80s about um in like the the, the entire angle sphere really about um about trying to solve uh like child hunger and whatnot in ethiopia like there are like all these like charity songs written about it and whatnot. Mm. The reason Ethiopia wasn't having famines because of like you know because you know wasn't be, simply because they were dirt poor. Ethiopia was having famines because the government was so objectively awful at doing its job, and so untethered from the will of the people that it just continued to exacerbate things. All famine, all famines in in the world nowadays are essentially man-made. They're the result of government policy gone wrong, and I suspect that in the future we will get to the point where a lot of other disasters are of are of a comparable nature. I see your point, and I can actually see, um, have a lot of examples in my head as well. But at the same time, I want to ask this question. So, first of all we agree that maybe not having those kind of system 
because it's like a really bad management system lead to those like say famine or poverty how do you solve the problem um is it going to be like is it efficient enough if we just turn to that kind of pro process yeah, i think i mean right it's now? uh it's definitely a case-to-case -case basis and there's no like absolute answer where you know you should immediately uh, set up these institutions because in some conditions and some places where people might not like uh, for example we mentioned famine um, maybe the priority shouldn't be having a, a several institutions set up but um, Going back to just you, you, the point you made, I, there's definitely some instances where maybe bureaucracy and the, an example that came to mind was uh, in India, there was a point where uh, local business and just entrepreneurship in general was impossible to, to, uh, to, to grow because of uh, corruption and, and how uh, these institutions were handling this, uh, these uh, situations. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a case to case basis. But I'd say that insti institutional checks are and and just having healthy institutions are definitely a, a step in the right direction. I feel this is not something that everyone wants to agree disagree on yeah. because everyone like agree on in the end this is some like th that kind of society w we want to live in. Mm -hmm. I feel the disagreement is always about, so how do we do the process to get there? Well, um, so uh, right now, um, I'm actually involved with a group called, or I guess it's more so a movement, uh, the Effective Altruism Movement. Hmm. And uh, in it, we deal with uh, three major uh, issues, uh, and the first of which uh, is global poverty. and. What we constantly uh, see are issues of transparency. Um, it's not that money, like, because right now we have enough food to feed everyone. It's, as Tom said, it's a management issue. And it's not an issue of, like, lack of resources to get places. It's, here's, you know, here's $1,000 to feed some Ethiopian kids. Um now, uh, how are we going to spend that? Are we going to get the bread here and then ship it over? And it's like, if that happens, then, you know, once it gets, sh we, we send, I don't know, uh, uh, a thousand loaves of bread are sent. And then, you know, when it on the landing strip, you're like, oh, you know, some must have gotten lost in transport. And so you're like, oh, man, I guess we have uh, 99, uh, sorry, I started with 900. Yeah, you know, 900 loaves of bread. And it's like, okay. So then what are you going to do with 800 loaves of bread? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, um, and, and or, or, you know, you look on the flip side with money and it's like and money just disappears through the, you know, and gets. And so, you know, it's, it's an issue of uh, transparency, uh, mostly when we're talking about these like global poverty issues. Um, which is, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a real issue of transparency. Um, and then also I would say that like an authoritarian regime, uh, can make things a little less transparent because when it's like, you know, let, let, let's 
perfect authoritarian regime, you know, uh, one person, you know, uh, and they're, let, let's just say an empire, you know, uh, word is absolute, you know, and it's what they say goes, you know, it's like, it, there isn't really a check on that. There isn't, there aren't people like checking on the accountability of that leader, you know, and, and, uh, that's, that just leaves a lot of margin for error. And if like there were such a thing as like a, uh, benevolent dictator, oh, sign me up, you know, but that is not the case, you know? And, and even, even if, um, uh, even if, uh, I don't know, let, let's, uh, pick on, let's pick on North Korea some more, even if, um, uh, the honorable leader is as honorable as he says he is, then what happens when he's gone? Is the next person going to be as wonderful and honorable as the guy who came before? And then what about the, you know, it just doesn't lead for a very resilient state. Even it, it, it may lead for an effective one, but it's certainly not the longevity of it uh, is called into question. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, uh, do we wanna look yeah, at think, the think, result? Is the result is the result out? So it's so last I checked it was about sixty percent. Oh, 60%. poor Yang. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So twenty one percent reporting. Sanders is at twenty eight point one percent. Buttigieg is at twenty three point one. Klobuchar is at nineteen point five. Warren is eleven point one. Biden is at 8.0. Ouch. Oh, Sorry man. for that sloppy transition, but we're now discussing yeah. the results of the New Hampshire. Yeah, we've got a bit of a uh, time crunch on our hands. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so yeah. What, what was the percentage, the total percentage? So Sanders, 28.1, Buttigieg, 23.1. 28 and 23? Yeah. Still close. Close, but um, I, I suspect that San, I mean, Sanders is probably, is probably it has a greater than 50% chance of winning uh, yeah. New Hampshire. Though Buttigieg might get a, if he improves just a bit, like into say like 24 or something like that, if rural areas start coming in later or something, mm-hmm. um, then he may very well get a get a bump. You know, he'll be the opposition to Sanders. Maybe you know that'll hurt Biden. It'll hurt Klobuchar. But Klobuchar is overperforming. She's at like 19 or whatever, mm-hmm. which is way better than we thought she would do. Yeah. Uh, so if it like hurts Warren, hurts Biden, you know, some of their voters will jump to Buttigieg just to be, you know, because he's. He might be able to consolidate some of that anti-Sanders vote. But anyways. Yeah, yeah. so what was the percentage of votes counted? Uh, 21% reporting. So it's it's okay. not percentage of votes, but it's percentage of constituencies. Okay. So yeah. precincts. Okay. Yeah. okay. So anyway, so this episode, we do not know the result yet, but by the next episode, we will know. And the next episode is we'll, probably after we'll, Super Tuesday. It'll probably be after spring break, so we will almost certainly know the res- the um, full full ba- basically who's going. We will we unless it get, gets into a two way slugging match between Sanders and you know the moderate opposition. Yeah. Um, either Sanders will have wrapped it up, wrapped it up, or it'll be that kind of slugging match. And so, but Sanders will probably wrap it up given the results we're seeing tonight. Which means that we will probably be talking about how it will be a Bernie versus Trump race in twenty sixteen, twenty twenty. Is that your official prediction? That's my official prediction. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. My in official a month, prediction we'll is that month. all the candidates will be like, "Oh no, Andrew Yang was so great," and then they'll 
secede, or you know, they'll drop we'll out and then give it. Give to them him. their, their drop votes. Drop out or secede, because those are two very different <laughs> things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, Thank you for listening, we everybody. Will keep observing. <laughs> I will keep observing for coronavirus as well, and hopefully for the ap- next episode, there will not be an issue anymore. Hopefully, we'll none of us will get coronavirus by yes. next episode. Yep. Let's hope we're not dead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Goodbye.